Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. It's funny because this, um, this first, ser- this first uh, message is really sort of an introductory message, and I'm not sure when we do the tape series if we'll do it as call it tape one or whether we'll call it a bonus tape or whatever because it's really, it's not so much a, it's sort of an introduction to the series, but it's especially designed for our group at this point in time. Um, and I want to give you a little bit of background uh, about why I'm doing this message uh, today. A couple months ago, I had a sudden rush of, uh, of kind of issues in the group uh, back in uh, April. And, and they all revolved around kind of dating, sex, and uh, divorce. And uh, now whenever you have a singles group, obviously they're from time to time you deal with issues like this. There, there may be issues uh, of illicit sexual relationships. Uh, there, there can be things where you have people coming from the outside in kind of scamming on the group, you know, that are not really there with the right motives. That can happen. Um, you can have people that are coming that are not even divorced, starting to date. And so anytime you have a singles group, it's possible for those things to happen. In fact, you expect it from time to time. But the good thing is, is that over the years here, we've been very blessed and very fortunate that, that that's been sort of a fringe thing. We really haven't had to deal with that a lot. I can often go a long period of time before having to jump in a situation. And so what was really strange is back in April, the beginning of April, I had two weeks where I had a new one almost every day. And I had like 13 or 14 cases in two weeks. And I just was like, Jesus, I'm ready for the next ministry. You know, I was just, just like, okay, I've done this. You know, it's kind of like the military trying to move me on, the next post or something. And, uh, and it really was, frankly, very discouraging the first few days of it. It's just like, what is going on, you know, here? And, uh, and it was about, you know, two or three days into it, somewhere in there, that I felt like the Lord kind of pulled me aside. You know how you do when you get discouraged and he kind of gives you a new perspective on things? And, and all of a sudden, it's like what dawned on me is that I always pray for two things for this group. And one thing is that God would protect us from harm. And number two, that he would bring to light any issue that needs to be dealt with. You know, because we, can't, we can only deal with the issues that we know about. And so if there are things he wants to deal with that I don't know about, we can't deal with it. So I just always pray he'd bring them to light. And so what it, it dawned on me is it was almost like he was saying, Mike, look, you're always praying these two prayers. I'm just bringing them all at one time to get your attention, you know. And, and so you can deal with this. And so what I began to do is began to one by one uh, make phone calls, uh, set up appointments with people, come in and have what I call my clarifying conversation. And... Um, you know, basically a clarifying conversation is where I sit down with someone and I say, let me explain to you what single purpose is about. Make sure that you understand where we're coming from. Now I need to understand where you're coming from. And now we need to understand if this is a match or not. And so it's just a clar- time to clarify what we're about, what they're about, and see what that. And shortly into that process, uh, I began to realize, you know, I think I need to have a clarifying conversation with the group because I just haven't had one in a while. And, and I just need to talk to you honestly about some issues of, of single purpose, our vision, our values, and then how it fits with, with issues of sex, issues of dating, issues of divorce, and things like that. And so uh, that's the plan, uh, what we're going to be doing uh, today. Um, and uh, honestly, I really hope you buy into this. I hope that as I share this, that there will be something that God will just be speaking to your heart and say, wow, that's really cool. You know, I've always looked for a group that was like this. And they really have this kind of vision and values, and we're serious about it. And I hope that what happens, it resonates, and, and the Holy Spirit just says to you, this is the group for you, and, and that's what I'm calling you to. And so we just really connect, and we go out of here strengthened and empowered. But frankly, I think that there are very likely that some of you will say, you know, that's just really where I'm not at. And, and that's okay, too, and I respect that. But part of this thing is just to say, well, this is who we are, and if this is not where you're at, then this is not the group for you. 
And so that's very much part of my goal tonight is to just to clarify what this group is about so you can see whether you fit or whether you don't fit, you see? And so um, that's, that's kind of what we're going to be doing. But uh, if this is your first time to single purpose, one thing we always do is we, or just almost always, is we always take a few minutes at the beginning of every message and do some small group discussion just to get to know a few people around you and uh, get acquainted and get us to kind of revved up for the, the topic. And so inside of your uh, handout is the, uh, what we affectionately call our ECRU colored Here's what I'd like to do is in our time together, I, I, the overall plan, basically, um, I want to talk to you initially about our vision and values of single purpose. I know that, that some of you are, are very familiar with these. Some of you are brand new and just never heard these. Some of you have been here a while but maybe have never had a chance to really have them explained to you. So we want to talk about our vision and values, first of all, just kind of briefly. But then we want to spend most of our time focusing in on having what I'm calling a clarifying conversation with you uh, about two areas specifically. One is that how does our vision and values uh, relate to the whole area of sexual purity? And so we want to talk about sex and single purpose. And then the, uh, the second area is I want to talk to you about uh, dating and divorce at single purpose. And so, you know, sometimes you can have a purpose statement, and yet when it gets down to the specifics, it gets muddy. Well, how does that really work out in everyday life? And so we want to take the big picture and then get specific. So there in your note sheet, I think the way to begin is just to talk with our, uh, our uh, vision statement or our purpose statement. So let's start with that. Let's fill in some blanks. Okay, the, the vision for single purpose or the purpose of single purpose is to build a community of single adults with, that have three things. With a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. The second thing would be positive relationships with one another. And the third thing is in a safe environment. Okay, so there's three keys to that, that, that statement. And uh, I understand that a lot of organizations have mission statements and purpose statements that they really think about long and hard one time and they put them in a drawer and never, you know, never go back to. But a single purpose is not like that. The, the purpose statement is something we go back to constantly. It is our plumb line. We say when we're deciding new uh, kind of new programs or making decisions on how to deal with situations, it's like, well, what is, what is our statement? You know, what, what are we about? There's three parts to this, and I just kind of want to point them out. Number one, it's a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, the way I, I put it sometimes, a single purpose is not a group, it's, an, it's not really a group for singles who happen to be Christians. It's a group for Christians who happen to be single. That, that our whole focus here is that the most, most important relationship in life is our relationship with Jesus, and we're really passionate about that. So that what that means practically is that we're going to teach you here at Single Purpose and the value that we hold is that we want to learn together how to make Jesus the top priority in our life, how to make pleasing him our top priority. And we'll come back to that. Number two, it's to have positive relationships with one another. In other words, this will be a group that we learn how to do relationship the right way. And, and part of that would be same-sex friendships, opposite-sex uh, friendships, and part of it would be dating relationships. But that in all those three zones, we would learn how to do relationship in a healthy way. And I think that's something that is very important, uh, especially for us single adults. A third thing is that it would be all in a safe environment. And like, uh, like the lady said, that this would be a place that this would not be a Christian version of a singles club. You know, that this is not a singles version of a meat market. 
where, where you come, you're hit on, you meet someone, you throw out you know, two or three lines, hey, you know, you're new here, never seen you before, and can I get your number? And, and, that, and that, that we just really don't do that sort of thing. That this is about authentic relationship, where men and women here treat one another with respect, with, with, with honor, uh, that we treat people as brothers and sisters always first before we treat as anything else. And, uh, that, and, of course, a huge part of that is this commitment to sexual purity that we're going to be talking about, that this would be a place where what Jesus calls us to in terms of sexual purity, that instead of being the minority like you are in most of your life, that this would be a place where you'd find support, uh, encouragement, and the tools to help you uh, live that out. So now what we want to talk about next then is, is we want to talk about these two specific areas. If that's the vision statement, that's the big picture we're about, uh, we're about pleasing Jesus, we're about positive relationships, we're about a safe environment. How does that really play itself out in the areas of uh, sexuality and in the areas of dating and divorce? So let's, let's move on to this next section in a clarifying conversation about uh, sex and single purpose. Now, the first thing I'm going to say is I'm not going to say a lot about this uh, uh, and really get into this a lot because... We're going to be doing a whole series of the next five months on uh, sex and the single life. And, and in that series, we're going to talk about why sexual purity is so important to God, why it should be important to us. We're going to talk about the, the benefits of sexual purity. We're going to talk about the high cost of sexual immorality. We're going to talk about how to set your standards, because there's a lot of, st there's a lot of gr uh, ground between holding hands and sleeping with someone. And how do you set your standards when you're dating someone? At what point are you... Are you kind of going too far? Even, you know, we, we obviously know you're not to sleep together, but where's the line? And then we're also going to talk about once you've set your standards, how do you come up with a strategy to maintain that? Because it's one thing to set it, it's another thing to maintain it. And so that's sort of the, the kind of the, the big picture of where we're going between now and the end of the year. And every month we'll be looking at one of those topics. And so um, we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about sexuality. And my goal is, is not just to say, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. The goal is to give you the tools uh, and the ammunition you need to follow Jesus in this way. Because I truly believe you can't have a healthy relationship uh, with someone. You can't build a love to last a lifetime when you're violating these basic principles, you see. So we're going to be talking a lot about that. So tonight we're going to be talking about this a lot. But I want to give you a couple key concepts here that I think are very important for where our group is right now. And then we're going to look at some scripture, one from the Old Testament, one from the New, just to help us get aligned. The first, uh, the first principle goes like this. You've got them there on your note sheet. Let's fill them in. Um, the first one goes like this. I'm going to give them both to you at once, and then we'll come back and talk about them together. The first one goes like this. That illicit sex, and if that's not a, a uh, familiar word to you, it's basically the same as illegal but uh, illicit sex, you know, there's unauthorized from a God standpoint sex, is one of Satan's most effective strategies to derail us. Okay, it's just, there's just no question in my mind, especially for single adults, that, that if Satan wants to derail you, that really for most single adults, one of the fastest and most effective strategies is through your sexuality. And so uh, we need to see this in its broad context that uh, Satan is after you, he is trying to destroy you, and one of his most effective time-proven strategies is illicit sex. Secondly, the second principle is that any group that doesn't deal with this is destined for disaster. Let me go over the end. Any group that doesn't deal with this kind of head-on 
is destined for disaster. And you may have been part of groups like this where I think it's fairly common in, in Christian singles groups not to deal with this head on. To just kind of, well, they probably should know, and yeah, it probably shouldn't happen, and, but I know it does sometimes, and, and we, just, we just don't really talk about that. We don't want to be offensive to people and scare them away, whatever. So, and, and what I'm saying is that whenever a group doesn't just deal with this in a head-on, candid, above-board, straight, you know, just shooting straight sort of method, the group will be destroyed. It's just a matter of time. It's destined for disaster. Now, there's, of course, many passages in the Bible we could go to to talk about these things, but what I want to go to is a couple more obscure passages. Now, if you've been a Christian for a long time or you know your Bible really well, you might be familiar with these. But most of you, this probably won't be your, the, the first passage that you, uh, comes to mind. And one is in the Old Testament. It's in Numbers chapter 25. I'd like you to turn there. If you don't have your Bible, uh, please bring one each month because we will, uh, we will always use them. And uh, secondly that uh, be f feel free to, to share with your neighbor uh, if you don't have one and they have to share, it's church. Um, <laughs> so just say what, you know, like, you got a Bible, what are you, a pagan? Or, you know, they, they, they'll come around. Uh, okay, Numbers 25. We're going to start at verse 1, but let me, uh, let me set the stage here for you, Okay. Uh, Israel has been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. You know that, that story, probably most of you. You know, out of their disobedience, they didn't go in the promised land. So they've been kind of wandering in, in Barstow for 40 years. And, uh, which is what happens to you when you don't obey God, you go to Barstow. But anyway, that's another story. Um, and, uh, and so now they're ready to go into the promised land. They're on the east side of the Jordan. And they've just had a couple major military uh, victories. Uh, they had a couple uh, enemies that they had to fight there first before they went in. And it was a very couple impressive victories. And so the king of uh, Moab, a guy whose name happened to be Balak, we won't use his name again, but Balak is getting very nervous about this, and he's not sure that he has the military resources to fight them. And so he, he hires this sorcerer sort of guy, uh, a guy by the name of Balaam, to come and put a, a curse, a hex, on Israel. Now, for those of you at the retreat, I mean, this is a great sacred romance story. This is a great, uh, this is a great fairy tale sort of story, you know, that the sorcerer coming in, the whole deal. But anyway, uh, he comes on in, and he, he goes to curse them. He's going to get a lot of bucks for doing this. And every time he goes to put a curse on, on them, God changes it to a blessing, which is really irritating the guy who hired him, you know? <laughs> I'm paying you the big bucks to curse these people, and you keep blessing. He says, hey, listen. I can't help myself. I can only say what God's putting in my mouth. And so it happens three times, and the king's getting more and more mad, and, and Balaam's getting more and more frustrated because he knows he's not going to get the big payday, you know, for, from this, for this gig. And so he uh, finally he comes up with a brilliant strategy. It was brilliant in a demonic sort of way, but brilliant nonetheless. And what he advises the king, and, and, and this is in Numbers 31, so you, we won't look at this part, but you can just check it out later. What he advises the king is he said, you know what? These people here are under God's protection. My curses won't work. So we can't get at them that way. So what we need to do is we need to get at them a different way. What we need to do is get God mad at them so he goes after them. So here's my suggestion. Let's send in a lot of our women, the Moabite women, pagan women, and let's teach them how we do worship. 
with sexuality involved. And we will entice them into our idolatry through sexual experience. And then what will happen is that their God will get very upset with them and he will come after them. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. It's brilliant because it's always the enemy's strategy. You see, we are under God's protection in our lives. But we can remove ourselves from that protection and put us at a place where the enemy can get at us. You see? So that was his strategy. Well, so that's what happened. And let's read what happens. Uh, I told you that in Barstow, Barsta, it's really even worse. In verse 1, you've got to be really careful how you pronounce this. <laughs> you know, in, in Hebrew, I am um, is, is really in Hebrew, you pronounce it im. Uh, like Elohim, okay, it's a plural, and, and so Im, and so that's how we're going to do this. Okay, <laughs> while Israel was staying in Shittim, <clears throat> enough said, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate, and they bowed down before these gods. And so Israel joined in worshiping the Baal, or the Baal, of Peor. And the Lord's anger burned against them. Now, what happened is, it, is, is this wild orgies going on. These women come in, hey, let us show you how to do worship our way. It involves sex. The men say, wow, we've never done worship like that before. And so, so this just, they find this, like, you know, this church is okay. And so, <laughs> and so it wasn't very hard. And so pretty soon you've got all this worship going on of idols with involving sexuality. And God is just like, whatever, you know, it's like, and, and he sends a plague upon them. And, and there's a plague that begins breaking out and thousands start dying from this plague. And so in verse four, the Lord said to Moses, Moses, you got to deal with this. He says, here's what you do. You take all the leaders of this people that are kind of leading this movement, and you kill them, and you expose them. Now, help me out. Would you say that's fairly dealing with it? Okay. I was feeling like that in April. Okay. Um, okay, let's just kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. And so Moses says to Israel's leaders and judges, hey, you guys, each of you must put to death those of your men who have joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor. And so imagine this. You know, we're at the tent of meeting now, which was like the tabernacle, like their, their little church where Moses would go meet. Moses is there. He's got all the leaders around him. He's got the judges. God's telling him, you got to go kill the leaders of this thing. He's about to send everyone out to go hunt down what's going on and deal with this thing. And all of a sudden, of all the nerve, in verse 6, that an Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses. He's going to take her in to his tent and have sex with her right there. And the whole assembly of Israel, while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now, imagine, okay, tent of meeting. Moses is hearing from God. He's given the orders. You got to go out and deal with this. You got to kill the leaders. Let's, let's move fast. The plague is spreading. People are weeping because people are dying. It's a horrendous scene. And this one guy has the nerve 
to bring in, we'll see later, she's the princess, one of the princesses of Midian, to bring her in there and just like, hey, in, in your face, buddy. And, and he goes into this tent. Well, next we have an interesting story. In verse 7, when Phinehas, who is son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw this. So Phinehas is standing there. He left the assembly. He takes his spear and he follows the Israelite into the tent. And he drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. So what you have, I mean, they're going at it right there. He takes his spear and says, this is it. And he just drives the thing through both of them. Now look what happens next. The Lord, uh, and then the, it says, then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. But those who died numbered 24,000. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites. For he was as zealous as I am for my honor among them, so that in my zeal I did not put an end to them. Therefore tell him that I am making a covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and he made atonement for the Israelites. That's a pretty heavy story, isn't it? One man who said, enough is enough. We've got to deal with this. Now, there's two things I want you to catch from that story. Again, these two principles. Number one is that Satan couldn't get at him directly. He had to go, his strategy was sexual immorality. You see, that's what he, the strategy, he got him under God's, out from under God's protection so that judgment could come. Secondly, is that if Moses and Phinehas had not taken quick action, the whole group would have been destroyed. It would have spread through the whole group. But they dealt with it rapidly. It's always the only way to deal with sexual sin in any group. You've got to deal with it candidly. You've got to deal with it quickly. It's got to be dealt with. You can't, you can't just kind of put it in. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, he says a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. If you allow it to go on, it will spread. It's just a principle. Now, I told you two passages, one of the old, one of the new. Let's look at one, an interesting one of the new in uh, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 12. Now, let me set the stage here. You may remember that the book of Revelation starts off, it's a vision of Jesus that the apostle John has on the island of Patmos. And you remember that he sees Jesus in all his glory. It's a very symbolic vision. And Jesus uh, is, is in all of his glory, but he also has some symbolic things like a, a sword coming out of his mouth that represents his ability to uh, issue judgment on people just by speaking the word. And, of course, the book of uh, Revelation is all about judgment upon this world for sin. And so it's, it's, rep it's, it's representative of Jesus coming as the conquering judge. And, and if you remember, in that opening vision, G uh, Jesus speaks to John and says, John, I want you to send seven letters to seven churches. And, and he says, and, 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 for every, and he, he kind of dictates them. And for each letter, Jesus will address the church, and then he'll give them the positive things they're doing, 
and sometimes the negative things they're doing, sometimes only negative, sometimes only positive. So he kind of deals, hey, you're doing this well, you're not dealing this with this well. So we're going to pick it up at verse uh, 12, which is the church of Pergamon, one of the seven churches. These are the words of him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. That's from his, the vision of him, you know, the sword coming out of his mouth. He says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. So it's a very hostile place to Christianity. Yet you remain true to my name. In fact, you did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. So what he's saying is, good job, guys. You know, you're, a ser you're serious Christians here. You, you have followed me even under persecution. You have remained faithful. So that's the good news. Now here's the bad news. Nevertheless, verse 14, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of, oh, who is that? Balaam. We just looked at Balaam, didn't we? Balaam was the guy back in chapter 25 of Numbers who advised, gave that advice. He says, you've got some people there in your church who are following the teaching of Balaam. Interesting. Who taught Balak, that was king, the king of Moab, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. How did he do that? By eating food, sacrificed to idols, and by committing sexual immorality. Remember, here's how we do worship. You know, and, and so we, we have a great feast and we do the sexual morality thing. And that's our church. And so he enticed him. He says that same thing is happening in your church in Pergamum. Now, what we think was going on there was that these were, you know, relatively new Christians and they were worshiping Jesus. They'd come to Christ, but they were also kind of going back to their old pagan temples. And often in the pagan temples, they would have these sacrifices to idols and they'd eat that. And there was often sexual immorality involved. So what they were doing is they had one foot in the church and one foot in their old life in the world, you see. They, they were doing the same thing Israel was, trying to be the people of God and the people of, of uh, sexual morality and of idolatry at the same time. So Jesus says, I've got this thing against you. You've got some people like this in your church. Now look at verse 16. He says, repent therefore. Now remember, this is to the whole church. This is a letter to the church, not just to those people. He says, as a church, you need to repent. You're tolerating this. <laughs> You know, we got a problem. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You see? So the message is, if you don't deal with it, I will. It would be to your advantage that you deal with it. You see? Often God comes to us in our life and says, either you can deal with this or I will deal with you on this. Now, my advice would be, you deal with this. Because if I deal with it, it's just going to get a lot more painful, you see? So, again, two lessons and from this thing in Revelation. Number one is that when Satan wants to get us off track, one of his age-old, very effective strategies is through our sexuality. And number two, that any group like this church who doesn't deal with it is going to have to answer for it, you see? Got to go, got to hit it head on. Now... Let's talk about, there in your notes, it says three practical implications. So that's the scriptural background. So what does that mean for us a single purpose when it comes to this whole area of sexual, uh, sexual standards, our vision statement? Number one, and this will come up on PowerPoint too. If we're serious, I think the first implication is, goes like this. If we're serious about pleasing God, there's no substitute for sexual purity. If we're serious about pleasing God, there's no substitute for sexual purity. In other words, well, let me give you a second to write that down. It's a lot of writing.
sometimes in this world we live in today, and even in churches, there's sort of an attitude that, well, yeah, we know this isn't right, but you know, what can we do about it? You know, it's just kind of the way it is, and everyone's doing it, and what are you going to be, a little Gestapo going around checking on everyone? And, and so, you know, there's sort of this attitude that, it's, yeah, it's probably not the best, but, you know, you know I'm sure God understands. I mean, it's, you know, he made us. And, and I, what I want you to catch from the scripture is that you just never find that in scripture. That is never the attitude. In fact, what you find in Scripture is if you're serious about pleasing God, it has to almost start with your sex life. In fact, we'll see this next month as we go in this deeper, but, but that, uh, that this, is like, this is like basic. This is like Christianity 101. When the moment you step over the line and follow Jesus, one of the first things he's going to say is, okay, we need to deal with your sex life. It's like, that's just like base one, you see? And, and just like baseball, you don't go to base two until you go past base one. And sometimes we kind of live in this la-la land of thinking that we can be illicit sexually and be pleasing to God. We can still grow, just not as fast. And that is just like a fantasy. It doesn't matter where you go in Scripture. It's just very clear. We'll look at that more next month. I won't, won't belabor that uh, now. But uh, I think what that says for us is that, again, just want to be clear, if you are here and you say, that's just not where I'm at, Mike, I, I just, I mean, I respect you and I respect your group, but I just don't buy that and that's not where I'm at. Then I just say, well, I respect you too and you have your right and you have to stand before Jesus and you can make up your own mind. But in the meantime, this is not the group for you. You see, it's just not, this is not where it's at because this is what we're about. We are about pleasing Jesus. That's our first thing, passionate relationship with Jesus. That means we don't tolerate this, okay? Okay. Okay, number two, uh, it's not enough to protect our own purity. This is the second implication that comes from these two stories we look at. It's not enough to protect our own purity. We also have to protect the group's purity. It's not enough to protect our own purity. We have to protect the group's purity. And again, we'll talk about this more next month. We'll get practical on how you do this and all. I just want to introduce the concept at this point. But, you know, we live in America. We're a very individualistic nation. And, and it even it's becoming more and more that way. You know, whatever I do in the privacy of my own home is up to me. You have no right to tell me what to do. That's fine if you're a pagan. But if you're a Christian, that is not true. Okay? If you're a Christian, you're a part of me and I'm a part of you. We're the body of Christ. If one weeps, we all weep. If one rejoices, we all rejoice. If you sin, I get screwed up. If I sin, you get screwed up. We are connected, you see? And so what the Bible would say is know that it's not enough just to guard your own purity. That when you're a part of a group, you are responsible to guard the purity of the group. And what this means practically is if, you have, if you're following Jesus in this area and you have friends who aren't, you are responsible to deal with that. And if you don't deal with that, you're back in Pergamum again where you have people who are doing the thing and you're just kind of there. And Jesus comes to the church of Pergamon and says, repent, what are you thinking? You see? And so we have a responsibility as a group to hold each other, like the man said, accountable. Very real. We'll look at that more next, week, uh, next month. If you have any questions about that, I'm sure they'll be answered next month. We'll talk practically, well, how do you do that? How do you live that out? It's a very awkward thing. It's a very hard thing. I agree. Jesus never said it'd be easy following him. He said it was right and it would be worth it, you see? And so I'm not telling you it's easy. 
I'm saying it's right, it's worth it, and we will do it. Okay, number three. By the way, before we go that, I think we see that, don't we, in this, in this story? I mean, God comes to Moses and says, Moses, deal with this. Leader says to his leaders, deal with this. Uh, Jesus comes to Pergamum, deal with this. He doesn't just come and say, Moses, I'm so glad that you're not doing this. That's really cool. <laughs> you know, some of your people are really messing up, but it just so blesses my heart that you are okay. You know, he's like, Moses, time to get the sword out, you know. Okay. Number three. Third implication is that, of these two stories is that we need to be smart, read, not naive, when it comes to dating people in the group. We need to be smart. What I mean by that is read, not naive, when it comes to dating people in the group. You know, Jesus warned us th that there will many times be people in the Christian community who look like Christians, sound like Christians, talk like Christians, uh, worship like Christians, read the Bibles like Christians, and who aren't Christians. Or who are Christians on their way of walking away from the Lord or in their distant land or whatever, not walking with Him. And, and sometimes I've often wanted to talk to you as a group and say, men and women, we have to be very wise here because we will always have people. We'll always have people in single purpose. Not most people, not a majority of people. I'm hoping it's not very many people, but we will always have people who will come here with ulterior motives to find a nice Christian wife, I'm ready to get settled down, to find a nice guy who will open the door for me, or whatever, they're looking for me. That there will always be people who are coming with the wrong motives. And what that means is as a group, you cannot be naive about this. You cannot be naive. And just when that happened, you know, Jesus said, he gave a parable one time about... He said that, that, that he went out and like the sower, he sowed the seed, remember? He said that the enemy came out and he sowed like the tares among. So when they came up, you couldn't tell the difference between them. They kind of looked the same, you see? And, and there will always be fake wheat in the church of Jesus, you see? So we have to be very smart. We have to be not naive here. Look on your note sheet. Jesus put it like this. This is from Matthew chapter 7. And this is from the uh, New Living Translation. I like the way it puts it. Follow along. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really wolves that will tear you apart. Now, if that doesn't have application to dating, I don't know what does. He's talking about false prophets here, but there's a principle that goes deeper than that or broader than that. If you get involved with the wrong person, is it not true they can tear you apart? Okay. You can detect them, catch this, by the way they act, just as you can identify a tree by the fruit. A healthy tree produces good fruit. An unhealthy tree produces bad fruit. Yes, the way to identify a tree or a person is by the kind of fruit that is produced. Not all people who sound religious are really godly. 
they may refer to me as Lord, Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, the decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. Now, underline that last verse. The decisive issue, when you're looking at someone to date, the decisive issue is whether they obey. You know, I had a lady not that long ago who's in a single purpose. She looked like a Christian. She talked like a Christian. She's put together like a Christian. When she first came, I said to myself, either that is going to be a great leader or she is going to be a major problem. First time I met her. She turned out to be a major problem. As time went on, something just didn't smell right. Something just didn't feel right to me. Alarm bells were going off. It's like something's not quite right. Sure enough, over time, bad fruit began to come out. In the process of my research, I talked to a law enforcement official. We talked about this. Turned out this person had a series of issues. We were talking about this, and it's a guy who happened to be familiar with the single purpose ministry. He said, Mike, I'm telling you this. He said, That lady is a termite. Single purpose is the biggest woodpile in San Diego County. I said, That is really true. I think it's a good woodpile. You know, it's like it's, it's a good thing. But the larger we get, the more we will attract people for the wrong reasons. If we're not smart about that, let me be even more, if you are not smart about that, you're in for a bumpy ride. You need to be very wise. So let's talk about how we can, how we can protect ourselves. I'm going to give you three practical things. Number one, judge people by their walk, not their talk. Judge people by their walk and, and not their talk. Sometimes we can be so naive. A person comes, has a Bible, they know the lingo. We let our guard down way too easy. There's a lot of people who are either fake Christians or really messed up Christians. A lot of people like that. You know, a lot of you are married to one like that, right? Time. Someone who claimed to be a believer, right? And just did not live it out. Some of you were that person. And hopefully you've, you're turning that around now. But just because someone presents as a believer, can talk the talk, has the Bible, knows the lingo, don't let your guard down. Watch the walk. Watch how they treat their enemies. Watch the little things. Watch the lie. Do they tell lies in little matters? Watch the small integrity issues. Watch the responsibility issues. Watch it. Are they integrating the teaching that they hear with their church or single purpose? Are they integrating that in their lives? Can you tell that they're growing in that way? Or is it kind of like, oh, yeah, that was a great talk. That was really good. But there's no integration going on. What kind of friends do they have? What kind of roots do they have? Are they involved in a church? How long have they been there? 
you know. They're just kind of bouncing around from church to church. I just kind of go wherever. And that might just be that they've not learned that's not a good thing to do. They have a good heart. They just not learned that yet. But it also might be a sign that they don't stay in one place any length of time because that's the way you get known. And so it's a way to fly under the radar. You see, we have to learn to, to judge deeper. And, and when, the, the warning, uh, when the little red warning lights on the dashboard of your emotional life are going off, don't explain those away. Circle those. Talk to Jesus about those. Talk to your best friend about those. Don't kind of go, ah, it's probably nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Pay attention. You know, ask your friends, what do you think about this person? You know, do a little research. Uh, that leads to number two. Whenever possible, watch them from a distance before you date them. I've thought about this one a lot. Most times when I'm teaching at Single Purpose, what I do is I just say, okay, if I were single, what would I do? How would I approach this? And I kind of think, okay, this is how I do it. Okay, boom, principle number one, principle number two. And so I've done this before. I said, well, what if I were single again? How would I do it? What, what, what would be the approach? And I tell you, this is a huge one. I would totally watch people from a distance. And I'll tell you why. Once you date someone, they are always on best behavior. Even if they're trying to be, trying to be honest, they're still trying to make a good impression, right? And on top of that, the moment you begin falling in love with someone, you kick into that what I call the rocket blast stage of a relationship. You know, where that, you have that huge, you know, I always you picture that kind of Cape Canaveral uh, launches, you know, the, the rockets and all the fires coming out. Well, okay, that's what happens at the beginning of a relationship. It's like there's an emotional Cape Canaveral going on. And what happens is that is tremendous fuel power to make you someone you're really not. You become so nice, so kind, so considerate, you know? Yeah, nothing like you normally are. No. <laughs> but isn't that true? It's like, hey, oh, gee, I got to get some groceries. Oh, I can pick up the groceries for you. You know, oh, your car, I'll take your car in. You know, three months after you're married. Don't you know the way? You know, um, you know what's wrong? You used to get the car fixed before I came along. Um, you know, so what happens is there's this emotional energy that comes that, that makes it so easy to serve one another. And it's not even a deceptive thing. It's just, you know, that's why we get married, because we think it will always be like this. You know? This is so cool, feeling like this. You know, I want to spend my life with this person. You know, like Scott Peck says in The Road Less Traveled, it's a, it's a trick Mother Nature plays on us to get us married. You know, it's kind of like, a, hey, we think it will always be this way. Okay, so... So because of that, because it's so easy to put on a different face in the early stage, because you have this emotional energy, it's really hard to get to know someone, you know, to get the real little person. That's why I would always want to watch from a distance whenever possible. I want to see who they are, who are their friends. I would do research on them. I, I totally would. I mean, I'd check around, like, who knows this person? Well, where are they at, you know? And, 
and what church they go to and who else goes to that church. And I just, you know, I'd be going up at places like Video Cafe and, hey, you know, I, you go to, you know, uh, Horizon. Great. Do you happen to know uh, so-and-so? Yeah, I just met her the other day. And, and, you know, I've just, have you known her for a long time? And just, I would do that. And when people come up to me all the time, they ask me, some, some people ask me those questions and, you know, I'll tell them. Yeah, you know, here's what I know, whatever. And, you know, I'd be a little bit discreet sometimes because um, <laughs> confidentiality, like you said. But, you know, um, I think it's a really smart thing to do. And, I, and can I tell you this? I think it's really dangerous not to do it because your heart is so quickly gets attached to someone when you start dating them. And it gets so hard, and pretty soon it's just, even if the evidence is right, you know, I was meeting with one of these 13 or 14 situations, you know, I talked about in April. I was meeting with someone that just, the guy had totally misrepresented himself. There was warning lights all over it. And I just said, are you aware of this? 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 And she said, I'm aware of all those things. But I just think that, you know, I'm just praying for God for direction. You know, I said, I said, there's some things in life we don't need to pray about. <laughs> you know? There's some things in life that what you do is you make an early call and a good call when it's obvious, because if you ignore the warning lights early, later on you'll explain them away. That's just the reality. Okay. Number three. Number three is let leadership know when there's a serious problem. Let leadership know. Again, we'll talk about this more next month. And by serious, I don't mean you just have a falling out and they hurt your feelings or you don't feel like they were, you know. Uh, you know, not, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about if you're involved in a relationship with someone and they have really misrepresented who they are. They've, they've represented that, oh, yeah, that they're, they're divorced. And you start dating and find out, well, they're not really divorced, you know. Um, but they're, they're planning on getting a divorce. Um, and, you know, or... You, you date someone and you find out that, yeah, they're dating you and, and kind of representative is, is exclusive. You know, you really have a future together. And you find out they're also kind of like leading on two or three other people. That's a serious integrity issue. And it's those kinds of issues. You've got to let someone know because we're a group here. We're a community. It's not good enough for you to say, okay, I'm out of here. Okay, I'm going to take my hurt and go. I mean, because they're going to do it to someone else. And this is where it's kind of like neighborhood watching thing, you know? A single purpose, neighborhood watch. That, that we need to watch out for one another. And when, when there's someone in, the, in our group that is hurting people, it's not okay just to say, okay, I'm out of here. I mean, you've, you've got to help us protect the group because they're, they're watching your back just like you're watching theirs. We'll talk more about that next month. Okay. The number one thing I want you to catch, the, this whole thing of a clarifying conversation with single purpose and sex is that sexual purity is a non-negotiable here. It is a non-negotiable. And so I hope, that, I hope that what's happening inside of you is you're saying, yes, a group that gets it, a group that will take a tough stand, a group that will help me to do what I want to do anyway, a place, I hope that's what's happening. But if you're like, oh, I can't believe this, then that's fine, but just don't come. You know, it says, don't be here. Because this is, this is a place for people of like mind. 
It's a place, that's what this group is about. And so we honor you. We, we, we respect your right to disagree. I'm not trying to put you down, but I'm just saying, let's just be clear. I, I don't know how to be more candid than I am. That's what we're about. If that's not what you're about, this is not the group for you. Okay. Now, let's talk about a clarifying conversation about dating and divorce at single purpose. Uh, it's an interesting thing because um, <laughs> I've been leading single purpose now for almost six years. And, you know, I've never once taught about divorce single purpose. It seems kind of odd to me, but it's just the way it's worked out. But in light of the events of the last couple months, I just felt like I needed to say some things about divorce. Now, let me say right up front that in my mind, there are two different kinds of divorce. I, I know that they're it's sort of a spectrum and they all get mixed up. But in my mind, there's two big boxes I put in. And, and one kind of box is I, I put in as a victim box, a victim divorce. And, and what I mean by a victim divorce is where someone is divorced, and they really don't want to be divorced. But their, their spouse left them for someone else. They, they deserted them. Um, maybe there was significant abuse that would not be stopped and, and, or molestation. or there, There's something just horrible going on. And, and so that you're divorced, but it was not something you wanted, something you fought against. It's, you didn't want that to happen, but it was just either you had no, absolutely no choice or there was just so abusive you had to get out. It was really the only option you had. I, I call those victim divorces. And I, I realize that there's always two sides and all those things, but... I look at it like that. And uh, what I want you to know is that if you're here as a result of a victim divorce, I, you really have nothing to fear from what I'm about to say. That um, you're, I think you're going to be very, very comfortable. And I just, my heart goes out to you because it's such a painful thing. And I don't know what you're used to hearing in church or whatever, but I just want to put your heart at ease that if you're here as a victim, you have nothing to fear right now. Okay? What I really want to talk to you is a second kind of divorce. Um, and, and this is sort of the divorce by choice. Um, and I find it becoming more and more popular today. In fact, even in Christian circles, it's becoming uh, almost you know, routine. And uh, it's, it's really in vogue. And it's sort of the, the, the divorce because I'm not happy. And, and the story will, will vary from person to person about why, what they mean by that. It could be that... Uh, you know, we, we've just lost that loving feeling. I don't, I don't feel any love for them anymore. It could be, um, well, you know, I never really loved them. It could be that, well, you know, we should never have gotten married anyway. Um, it could be, um, you know, all we do is fight all the time. It could be, you know, she just nags at me. And there's a lot of different varieties. But the bottom line is it's someone who has chosen to leave their spouse, and there's really not what we'd consider a biblical kind of reason for it. There's not really, there, there's no, you know, uh, or a big reason. There's no, there's no abandonment. There's no kind of ongoing adultery. There's no, um, uh, you know, some big abuse thing or something like that, okay? So it's sort of a divorce by choice. Now, that's the kind of divorce I want to talk about and be very clear here today together because uh, I think it's part of pleasing Jesus, and so we just need to talk about this. I want you to turn in your Bibles to see what some things that Jesus said about this in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, some people, some of the religious leaders of the day come up to Jesus and they ask him about divorce and how God feels about it. So let's read this in verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Skip to verse 3. Some uh, Pharisees came to test him. Of course, Pharisees were some of the religious leaders. They came to test him. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? 
So what they're really asking here is, is, is it okay to kind of have a no-fault divorce? You know, is it all right with God if we just kind of divorce our wives for whatever reason? You know, it could be, it just could be anything. It could be serious, it could be minor. Is that okay with God? That's what they want to know. And Jesus is going to say, no, that is not okay. That's not a good thing. And he's going to take them back to Genesis and say, he's going to give them a new vision of marriage. And this is a good thing for us. Whenever we're trying to figure out God dwells, like, go back to the original vision. You know, what is God's vision for this thing? So in verse 4, he says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. And he said that for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and become united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So marriage is about a, a new unity. And it's a lifelong unity. And it says, uh, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So he says, now let's go back to the beginning. Look what's God's vision for marriage. It's about oneness. It's, an, it's a lifelong thing. And so no, uh, divorce for any and every reason, that's not a good thing. That's his answer. So then they come back and they say, well, Jesus, um, we got a problem with that. Um, they say in verse 7, well, why then? Did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Now, they're referring to a passage in the Old Testament. I think it's in Deuteronomy 24, if I remember. But where, where Moses gave this, this you know, one command, if you, if you send your wife away, that you need to give her a certificate of divorce. It was really to protect her, to show she was truly divorced, so she wouldn't be thought of as an immoral woman. That's what it's about, Okay. And so why did Moses command that? Well, look what Jesus says. He says, well, first of all, Moses permitted. He didn't command anything. He permitted it. Um, to, you divorce your wives because um, you were such sad sacks. Okay? Now, that is in the Greek. Um, but I think we're sort of we're immune to this. But he says, because your hearts were hard. In other words, because you guys are so insensitive because you're so lack of, having so much lack of compassion, because you're so messed up. He allowed this. He permitted it. He didn't command it. He allowed it because of the hardness of your heart. Okay. But it was not this way from the beginning. And then he says this famous thing, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Now what's he saying here? What's this about? Let me tell you how I read it. I know people read this differently. So I'm going to give you my two cents. This is how I read this. I don't think this is a passage about abuse. I don't think this is a passage about, is it okay if a wife divorces her husband because he comes home and beats her every night in a drunken rage? Is that okay? Or does she have to stay in the middle? I don't think that's what it's about. I think what's happening here is you've got a group of men coming up to Jesus who are religious leaders who, who see themselves as just so super spiritual. And they're like, hey, is it okay if we, we dump our wives whenever we want to do that? Is that okay with God? I mean, after God, God commanded us to do that. And Jesus says, man, you guys are just so messed up. It's not commanded. It was permitted because your hearts were hard. He said, when you get rid of your wife because you want a younger model or you want a different model, you're bored, whatever it is. When you get rid of your wife and you do it just legally through the legal hoops, he says, it's like legalized adultery. That's all it is. If you're married to a woman, you say you don't like that woman, you go find another woman. We call that adultery, right? He says, okay. So what do you guys do? You get tired of your wife, you divorce her, go find another woman. 
What's the difference? What's the difference? Same thing. You're just dumping your wife. Same thing. See? I think what Jesus is after here is a hard issue. It's a hard issue that, that says marriage is really an important thing. It's important because it's supposed to be a beautiful thing. And what, if we're serious about pleasing Jesus, what we do is we, we really take our marriages seriously. And we don't just stay in a bad marriage out of duty. What we do is we work on that marriage. And we make it work. You see? That's what pleasing Jesus would mean. And so he's talking to these men of self-righteous men who want to dump their wives and think God is all happy with them because they did it the legal way. He says, you guys just have adultery in the heart. That's all it is. You're missing the whole point. Now, what are some implications for single purpose? Number one, and we're almost done here. If you're going through a divorce right now for the wrong reason, it's one of these, hey, I'm just not happy. She doesn't fulfill me. He doesn't fulfill me. I'm bored. I want something new. I never loved him. I'm frustrated. We just fight all the time. If you're going through a divorce for the wrong reason, you need to go home. This is not the place for you. I don't know how to be any plainer about that, but especially if you have a, a wife or a husband at home who wants to make your marriage work, and there is no major big issue. It's just one of these things I've talked about. You need to go home. You need to learn how to love one another. That's what Jesus would call you to do. See, that's if we're serious. And this group is to help people do the right thing. That's what this whole group is about. I don't want to provide a home for you where you can dump your wife, come here for the wrong reason, and we just give you a whole new set of friends, and we give you a whole bunch of fun and activities, and we just give you this whole new life so you can be just really happy while you disobey Jesus. That's not what this group's about. This group's about pleasing Jesus. You see? One of these cases I was talking about that I dealt with in the last couple months, it's like I get a call from the leader of another church around. I won't mention what church, but it's a large church, good reputation. So I just wanted you to know that you got a man in your group who's coming over there. His wife's in my home fellowship. She's brokenhearted. The marriage is not perfect, but she really wants this marriage to work. There's no major issues. He's dating in your group. It's like, okay, time out here. That is not why this group is here. I met with that man. I said, you need to go home. You need not to be here. This is not a group to make sin comfortable and easy. Okay. Let me, let me just do a little sidebar here. I want to talk to you candidly about some of you are here and probably feeling kind of nervous and uncomfortable right now. Not so much because you fit exactly in that category, but maybe you've gone through a divorce, and it might be six months ago, a year ago, it might be five years ago, ten years ago, and you're saying, well, Mike, what does that mean for me? I'm not sure I went through it for the right reason. Yeah, now that it's, I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying, and I really want to please God in my life, and so uh, what do I need to do? And here's what I just suggest to you, just from my heart to yours, as if you were just my best friend and said, what should I do? I'd say this. Number one, so you need to have a serious conversation with Jesus about this. And you need to pour out your heart to him, 
And you need to ask Jesus, what do you want me to do? If your spouse still wants to reconcile, they're not remarried or whatever, you, you need to ask that question. Jesus, do you want me to go back? And you need to come to a place in your life you're willing to do whatever he wants you to do. Now, I don't know what he'll tell you to do. He may say, hey, there's too much water in the bridge. He, he may say, no, that was an abusive thing or it was borderline. I don't, I don't want you there. I, he may say, I want you to go back. I know many couples in our church who got a divorce and then later got back together. It's a beautiful thing, you know. And so I, I don't know, but here's what I know is that spiritually it is deathly for you to not be, have an answer to that question in your life. Because whenever we have an area, we're not sure if we've obeyed Jesus and we try to go on and build, a, build on that, but we're not really had settled that issue, it just really slows us down. And so I don't know what the answer is for you, but I know that's a process. You need to really talk with him honestly, ask him that question, get that settled, and do what he shows you to do. I think sometimes for some of you, you might say you need to take some steps and maybe test the waters towards reconciliation. You know, there might be some changes that would have to come or whatever, but to test the waters. Others of you might say, no, there's too much you know, water under the bridge, but I think you need to have that conversation. Number two, if you're going through a divorce for the right reason, you are welcome here. A divorce is always a bad thing. We all know that. A lot of you have gone through the pain of that. No one would ever want to go through a divorce. It's horrible. It's, it's one of the worst things you can go through. It's worse than a death. I mean, you know, it's like it'd be, it'd be so much easier in some ways to lose a spouse through, through death. You know, it's just, it's just it's a horrible thing. And you know that far more than I. I know it from knowing a million divorced people. You know it from many of you from going through it. So I'm not telling you something you don't know, but one thing I often have is I often have people come up to me at single purpose and say, Pastor Mike, that's what they always call me until they know me. Um, <laughs> after six months, hey, you. Um, that, uh, they'll say, Pastor Mike, uh, can I ask you a question? I, I'm not divorced yet. And uh, is it okay if I come to single purpose? I always tell them the same thing. I say, if you're going through a divorce right now, it's the most devastating thing in your life. You probably lost your friends. You probably lost your finances. You probably lost your family. And sometimes you wonder if you're losing your mind. And you need a place to connect, and you need new friends, and you need a place to worship, and you need a place where you're not the only one. You need a place where you feel comfortable, not like you're the fifth wheel. And so that's what we're here for. We're here for you. Come. But I always tell them, but don't date. And you know what they say? Because the people who ask that are always the integrity people. They always say, that is the last thing on my mind. I say, I know. I just have to say it. And uh, many of you have had, had that conversation. You, you, we've, we've done that routine. And what I'm saying is that if you're here and you're sort of one of those victim divorces, I just, you know, I just want God bless you. My blessing is upon you. Uh, we just want to love you here. Number three. It's the last one. Third implication, if you're, not, if you're not divorced, then you're still married. So don't even think about dating. If you're not divorced, you're still married. So don't even think about dating.
It's amazing to me how we will really value the paper of marriage on the front side, but not on the back side. <laughs> if you have a friend, a Christian friend, who comes to you and says, you know, John and I decide we're going to start sleeping together. We're just so excited about that. <laughs> and, and you say, excuse me, you know, what are you talking about? You guys aren't married. And, yeah, but you know what? We decided we're going to get married. And so we're thinking, why wait? You know, we'll just get a jump on things. You're going to go, wait a second. Wait, time out here. You know? It's like, well, but it's just a piece of paper. What's the difference? In God's eyes, you know, we're married. Right? You've kind of heard that line before. So you use that line. Like, what's wrong with that line? Anyway. Um, <laughs> We go, no, that's crazy. The paper really matters. It's, it's like this is the thing, the way we do marriage, and the paper matters. Well, here's what I'm suggesting. If the paper matters on the front side, paper matters on the back side. If you're not divorced and that marriage is not final, you're still married. Now, you say, well, Mike, do you think there's any, ever, any exceptions to that? Oh, maybe there are. You know, you, you can't find the guy for nine years to serve the paper or whatever, you know, and, and it's like, I'm not going to shoot you, you know, and, and say, wow, you know, it's like, well, I mean, I'm not saying there's never, but here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to be clear on. At a single purpose, we can't have any exceptions on this. And I'll tell you why. Because you can't start falling in love with someone and, who's showing an interest in you only to find out they're not even divorced yet. That's not fair to any of us. It's not a safe place, Right? And on top of that, if you're not through your divorce, you really need to be working on building relationships with same-sex friends. I mean, you just need to, be, you need to be building those healthy male relationships with males or females with females. It's a time of healing. Divorce is a huge deal. You don't, you don't get over it in six months. You don't get over it in a year. It takes time. And you need to start building for your future. And so uh, that's sort of our standard here at Single Purpose. And let me say one more thing that because you guys are so tricky. <laughs> well, we're not really dating. <clears throat> we're just kind of hanging out, you know? <laughs> oh, you're so tricky. You're so tricky. What I found is that for me, I'm, now it's probably not most of you here, but for some people, they have amazing, amazing capacity for self-deception in this whole dating realm. I've often told you, you know, when people tell me, we're just friends, I always ask them, have you kissed her? Well, yeah. <laughs> then you're not friends. When was the last friend you kissed? You know, do you like, regularly kiss your friends? You know, and just like, hey, great time tonight. Let me give you a kiss. <laughs> you know. Oh, no, it doesn't mean anything. We're just friends. <laughs> well, he kissed me. Oh, I'm sure it means nothing. And he does that to everybody, you know? <laughs> right? I mean, the moment you cross that line, you hold hands or you kiss or whatever, you're not friends anymore. You're more than friends, right? Let's be honest, okay? So our heart doesn't know the distinctions our heads uh, sometimes try to make. You know, you can say, oh, you know, he's not divorced yet, so we're just going to hang out for a while with our kids. And Tell your heart that, okay? Tell your heart you can't get attached. Tell your heart you can't fall in love.
tell your heart that on June 16th, his divorce is final, so then heart, you can fall in love. Life doesn't work like that. And so I think we just need to be honest and not play those games. You know, that's just not life. That's not the way it really works. And so uh, let's wrap this thing up. All I want to say, what I want to do is just have a clarifying conversation with you tonight about the vision and values of single purpose. Here's who we are. We're about pleasing Jesus. We're about positive relationships. We're about safe environment. That's who we are. Specifically, that means we take Jesus seriously in sex. It means we take Jesus seriously in marriage. We don't play games. I hope that is where you are. I hope that the Holy Spirit is just all over you right now in a joyful way that you're saying, that is so great. I'm so glad that that's what this group is about. I hope that's what's happening to you. But I also want to say, if it's not where you're at, then let's not waste both of our time because I am getting tired of having one-on-one clarifying conversations. <laughs> I mean, I've just got other things to do, you know, believe it or not. And it's just not my favorite thing, and I know it's not your favorite thing. It's just no fun when you get a call from me saying, you know, we just need to talk. You know, it's just, I know it doesn't make your day, so let's just make it easier on all of us here. And say what? If you want, this is the way the train's going. If you want to go there, come on the train. We are going to have a blast. You know, if you don't want to get on this train, if you don't want to go that way, then just don't get on the train just because they're serving nice drinks and hors d'oeuvres, you know? <laughs> Sooner or later, we're going to have to throw you off the train. It's no fun, you know? <laughs> no, okay. So. Okay. One more thing. I just want to say this. I want to be real clear, because sometimes there's some misunderstanding on this. There are only two times when I ask someone to leave single purpose. I want to be really clear on this, okay? Number one is when someone is in sin and refuses to get out of sin. Okay, that's number one. Number two is when they have a track record of sin, and I think that they are therefore dangerous to the group. It's not that they've fallen once, fallen twice, but there's something about their situation that creates that wherever they go, it's almost predictable. They're going to take advantage of vulnerable people, even if they don't mean to. Okay, even if they don't mean to. Something they don't mean to. It's just that that's, there's just a, a vacuum there in their life, and that's just what happens where they go. Those are the only two times. When someone comes into my office and says, Mike, I just got to be honest with you. I've fallen in this area, and here's what happens. Emotionally, if not physically, I put my arms around them and say, that's what we're here for one another for. We're to help each other. This is a tough area. I love you. I want you in this group. Let's get back on track. Let's do this thing right. Let's follow. Let's learn from this together. And you share what you learn with your friends because it's a hard thing. And so when someone comes and they want to get back on track and they've fallen, it's all about let's, let's love them, let's fix them up, let's heal them, let's go together, right? So if you ever have that, you, know, you never have to be afraid and come and talk to me. The only time you have to be afraid of me is when you are messing up and you are not willing to stop or when you're a danger of the group. If, if that is ever the case in your life, then you have reason to be afraid. You do, because we will not tolerate that here. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we just thank you that we can be together. You've done such a, a beautiful thing at Single Purpose, Lord, creating a group where we can love you and worship you and learn together and, and build healthy relationships. And you've just done such a beautiful thing here, Lord. And we realize 
that at times that we have to fight for the very heart and soul of this group. That there will come times when the enemy will come and he will do battle, just like he did with Israel at Shittim, just like he did at Pergamum, that he will come in and he will try to destroy the work that you are doing. And that one of most, his most effective strategies is to get us to compromise in the area of our commitments to sexuality and marriage. And so, Lord, as a group, we, we brace together, we, we link spiritual arms, and we say today, we stand before you, that as a group, we commit ourselves to these standards. And Jesus, we ask you for the wisdom and the strength to stand because it is a hard thing, and you know that. But you have said that with you all things are possible and that greater is the one who is in us than he is in the world and that with Christ we can do all things. And so, Jesus, we invite you to come as our Lord and leader to teach us how to stay on track and how to grow and ultimately that we will learn how to do relationship right in this such an important area so that when the time comes, Lord, that maybe you could bring us the right person for us that so we could build a love that lasts a lifetime and build it on a foundation that is so firm like so many couples in this group are doing, Lord, that have learned to say no to sexual impurity and they just come back and they say, what a difference it has made in our lives. I've never been in a relationship like this because we've taken the time to get to know one another and to honor one another and the power that comes from that. Jesus, may we be full of relationships like that. We ask you to help us in your name. Amen. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.